Welcome to a brand new episode of Disclosure. I sincerely hope wherever you are, somewhere on the face of this planet, that your day is shaping up to be a really good one. Mine's been not too bad so far today. I think I got up at four because my wife got up at four for some unknown reason. And so I, and then of course, um, I had my clock set from a different time zone and somehow it didn't reset. And so I, uh, I got confused in the wee hours of the morning. So I've actually been here in the studio since like 5 a.m. Yes, we had an early start today. Uh, for the record, you were awake before I was, but we are both on East Coast time right now. And yep. so I'm normally an early riser, but when you <laughs> go from East back West in the country, that early rising becomes super early. The a problem too is, early. That's, you know, at six o'clock, I want to go to bed. Yeah, because it's old guy the evenings time. Evenings are, are long. It's time for a cup of hot cocoa <laughs> in bed at six o'clock. Yeah. Remember when Exciting you used to times. stay up till 2 in the morning and not feel tired? Yes, I used to. It's over. I used to work until 2 and 3 in the morning waiting tables back in college. <laughs> There's no way I could do that now. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Sean. If you're new to the program, I'm in studio with, I don't have my glasses on, but I can tell by the voice, it is Jean, my wife. Yes, My is. wife of 25 plus long, long years. Long, long years yeah. in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> Today, because my wife happens to be a history major, mm -hmm. we're going to rewind the clock about 500 plus years or so. We're going to visit a time right before the Protestant Reformation, and we're going to visit someone who has become, well, surprisingly to me as I grew up, something of a controversial figure. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, this person has become somewhat controversial. And who is it, Sean? It's Christopher Columbus. Mm -hmm. And not too many weeks ago, if you're listening to the original broadcast of this, well, a number of weeks ago, October 8, uh, we passed what is called Columbus Day. Right. And Columbus Day has become controversial. That's the thing that caught me by surprise growing up, because as a kid, Columbus Day is Columbus Day. No mm -hmm. big deal. Mm -hmm. But today we hear a lot of people suggesting that maybe we shouldn't celebrate Columbus Day because Columbus wasn't a nice guy. Uh, he treated his men very harshly when he arrived in the New World, uh, and he treated the people who already lived here even worse and sometimes as subhuman. Yeah. They say he was a bit of a tyrant. Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, a number of U.S. cities last year replaced Columbus Day with the term Indigenous Peoples Day. They replaced it uh, because Columbus really didn't discover America. There were people already living here when he arrived, of course. So some of the cities that did this were L.A., uh, Berkeley. Of course. Of course, of course. Berkeley. Yep. <laughs> that one's not such a shock. Yeah. Um, Others, though, Spokane, Minneapolis, Boulder, right here in our state, Portland, Tulsa, Austin, and many, many more declared Columbus Day now Indigenous Peoples Day. Right. And so I'll give them this. I mean, it, it's certainly true mm -hmm. that there were a lot of people here when Columbus already arrived. <laughs> duh. Right. You know, right. duh. Right. And it's not actually just the Native Americans who got here ahead of Columbus. As you know, I'm, I'm kind of a fan. I, I, I probably shouldn't admit this on the radio, but I'm kind of a fan of alternate histories. Now, that doesn't <laughs> you're laughing, but I, I love <laughs> no them. I love the weird histories, <laughs> I right? Know you do. And uh, not that I believe them. I don't. I just find them highly entertaining. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And one of my favorite books, I think, probably does have some merit to it. This is one of my favorite books of all time. It was called, I don't remember the author's name, but it's called Columbus Was Last. Right, right. And it's kind of a record of all the people. That's hilarious, right? It's a record of all the people we know who got here ahead of Columbus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of them. 
Mm-hmm. Right? There are. Think of some. Right, Leif Erikson right. and the Vikings. Right. They ended up in Newfoundland a long time before Columbus, right. but uh, probably 400 years. Yeah, for, mm-hmm. about 1,000 A.D., for almost mm-hmm. 500 years, they set up shop in Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible, possible that the Phoenicians came to North America hundreds of years before Christ. Hmm. Now, we don't really have proof of that. This was one of those ones that might be out there on the fringe. Right. Uh, but we do find some odd inscriptions with an easy access of the Gulf of Mexico. Hmm. Uh, we know hmm. the Phoenicians were in the city of Tyre. We know that they settled in the south of Portugal. They okay. may have been, according to some new thinking, the actual ancestors of the ancient Celts who spread out across Europe from the southern tip of Portugal and, and ended up in Ireland, but that's not where they began. Hmm. Um, there, there's one incident. There's this stone in a dry creek bed just south of us here in New Mexico. We need to drive down and take a look at it. It was discovered by early settlers in New Mexico, and it has these strange engravings, which some people say, ooh, that's Paleo-Hebrew, and they say that it's the Ten Commandments and it's Phoenician-style writing. And see, the Phoenicians made it here and brought a copy of the Ten Commandments. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But it's well, one of the theories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brennan the Navigator may have made it here ahead of Columbus. You've heard hmm. of him. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The Irish yeah. sailor. Mm-hmm. 500 years after Christ, he gets in a coracle. A coracle is a little skin boat that the Irish, some still make it to this day. And he finds land to the west of Ireland across the water. Now, it could have been Iceland, it could have been Greenland, it could have been North America. Maybe. And there's some yeah. evidence to suggest that um, Columbus knew about Brendan the Navigator and had read some of his adventures. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Piri Reis map surfaced mm-hmm. in 1513, conveniently after Columbus, admittedly. But it shows the Americas and the coast of Antarctica in detail. And we know Hmm. Columbus knew about the existence of that map. Somebody was mining copper in the Great Lakes region at some point in the distant past. Hmm. Uh, There's some thought that the Chinese made it here ahead of Columbus. In fact, in 1405, a Chinese Muslim eunuch, Zheng He, I'm not very good at pronouncing these names, Zheng He, Mm -hmm. launched, well, he had seven voyages that left from China and crossed the Indian Ocean. That's the wrong direction. But then in 2001, somebody bought an ancient map in Shanghai, which was supposed to be a a copy of a map that this guy had in 1418, and it clearly shows North and South America. Interesting. I put a copy of it in front of you, and and it's it's a map of the world almost virtually as we know it today from 1418. From 1418. Yeah. Yeah, you can't see that on the radio, but it's right here in front of us. Very interesting. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch more. There's yeah. all these stories. Columbus was last. Okay. Columbus was last, really was. Okay. Well, let's get back to Columbus because even though he wasn't the first one here, he did become the most notable because after Columbus, we got this massive influx of Europeans, which forever altered the Americas. Yeah, that, that, that's right. So Leif Erikson, the Vikings made it to Newfoundland, but they didn't stay. They packed right. up and left either the harsh environment or they didn't get Too along rocky. with the Native Americans who were already there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so they left. Columbus, though, put down European roots here and everybody stayed, and that obviously changed the course of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not really – I don't really want to talk today about the cultural impact of Columbus. That's neither here nor there for me. Okay. What I want to focus on, because, you know, we're a faith-based program, mm-hmm. I want to focus on the faith of Columbus. Now, while we do that, I don't want to give him a pass on some of his more objectionable behavior – Uh, Because at one point, he behaved so badly that he got sent back to Europe in chains. He went home a prisoner. Uh, That having been said, and again, not to give him an excuse, but I'm not sure he was that much different than anybody else in his day. Hmm. Uh, 
And again, if you were to examine me under a microscope, you'd find plenty long. He claims to be a Christian. He did stuff wrong. Yep, I have done stuff wrong. Not horrible. I don't want anybody to imagine I've murdered somebody. You know, um, right. maybe thought about it. No, I didn't. I didn't even think about it. Um, but the point is, nobody has an, a, a completely spotless record. No, okay. Right? And so, what? Maybe Columbus was a jerk. I yeah. don't know. But yeah. he did have a faith. And what what many people don't recognize in Columbus is the way that Bible prophecy and a deep sense of prophetic destiny actually drove him to get in a boat and sail west over the Atlantic Ocean. Huh. Uh, so. Let's get a little bit of historical context for the story of Columbus today, because it's important. See, what Columbus actually wanted to do is find a westerly route to China. Or sorry, I'm an American now. What Columbus wanted to do is find a westerly route route, route <laughs> to China and India, because right. in 1453, this is a big event, in 1453, Constantinople, in what is now modern-day Turkey, mm-hmm. Constantinople falls to the Ottoman Empire, and they begin to control all the roads that lead to the east. Which would have affected trade, economy, a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And if you remember, Constantinople had been the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire, also Mm -hmm. known as the Byzantine Empire, and it outlasted the Western Roman Empire by nearly a thousand years. Right, 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 right. And it was also home to the biggest Christian church in the world, Hagia Sophia, which means holy wisdom. Right. Um, it was completed by the Emperor Justinian in 537 AD. Right. Biggest Christian church in the world at the time. Today it's a mosque. Um, yeah. Yeah. But the biggest Christian church in the world uh, was in Constantinople. Mm-hmm. Four years after the Emperor Justinian declares... Um, the Bishop of Rome to be the head of all the holy churches. He builds Hagia Sophia. Mm-hmm. And he's living in the East. He declares the Bishop of Rome to be head of all the churches in the Western Empire. And what he basically did was elevate the Bishop of Rome at that point above all the other prelates of the church, all of the other key bishops. In those days, there were five key centers of Christianity, Antioch, Jerusalem, Constantinople, Rome, and Alexandria. And Rome was kind of one among equals. Mm-hmm. It's just that Justinian, at this point, starts kind of elevating, and Constantine had done this too, but he starts elevating the Bishop of Rome above the others. But he's got a big roadblock with this declaration. Hey, Bishop of Rome, you're in charge of the western part of the empire now. Um, And the problem with that is that there are three barbarian tribes living in the area who have a different opinion on the divinity of Christ to some degree. Mm-hmm. To what de- degree, we're not exactly sure. Maybe this was made up as an excuse to get rid of them, that they were Arian, that they didn't believe in the divinity of Christ. But they don't like this idea that the Bishop of Rome is in charge. They reject the authority of the Bishop of Rome, the authority that Justinian apparently instilled in that bishop. Mm-hmm. And these three tribes were the Hurrioli, who lived in the Italian peninsula at that time. Okay. The... Um, the Lombardi, who become the modern-day Italians, lived way up north at that time in Central Europe. So the Hurriuli are in Italy, the Vandals are in North Africa, and the Ostrogoths kind of live on that bridge of Europe between Italy and, and Greece. Those three tribes, the Hurriuli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths, don't like the Bishop of Rome having authority. Mm-hmm. And they, they resist it. Um, and so they become the targets of the Roman Empire. Roman troops got rid of the Hurriuli early on in 493. They wiped out the Vandals in 534, and in March of 537, the Ostrogoths 
who were already on the Italian peninsula, they laid siege to the city of Rome. And so the Eastern Roman Empire supports the Bishop of Rome by sending in a general named General Belisarius, and he destroys the Ostrogoths. So to this day, none of those tribes exist anymore. There are no Heruli, there are no Vandals, there are no Ostrogoths. Justinian's troops destroy them off the face of the earth. But mm-hmm. I digress. <laughs> I digress. That's not really our topic. Well, that was a digression, but it was very interesting. It would make a really good show sometime um, because those things factor into Bible prophecy. In fact, when we finish with Daniel 7, we will probably have spent yeah, a lot of time on this Yeah, we're going to do a show on Daniel right. 7 in our Reading Daniel series. I'm just getting ready for that in the next few months. Okay, yeah. so that this this yeah. information really and ties so into I that. And so I will go back. You will wish you had remembered the Hurrii, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. Yes, because they play a significant role. You'll be ahead role. of the class when I get to that. <laughs> If you there remember that. Go. Write that on a piece of paper somewhere for that big show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but for today, of course, the important part is the sack of Constantinople in 1453. Right. That's the context for the story of Columbus. Yes. They sacked the city of Constantinople. The Western Empire went down a thousand years earlier. But now the Eastern Roman Empire is toast, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. put it in, the, in, the, in, in lay terms. Mm-hmm. It is toast. Uh, And suddenly, the Eastern Roman Empire now is a Muslim empire. Interesting. And that proved really problematic for all these trade routes, routes, routes. I still say both. They both sound okay to me. Yeah. (laughs) It's problematic for the trade routes to the east. So what Columbus wanted to do is find a new way to get to the east by going West. Okay. Now that's significant. So, that's, so that's gonna, I hear the music. We have to. You have to quit talking so much so that we have time for a commercial, right? Because you filled up all the time. Oh, it, look at that! It's running out because I'm talking so much. It's time for a break. <laughs> we'll be right back. As you may know, the Voice of Prophecy is supported by people just like you. We provide Christ-centered programs and Bible studies free of charge so that no one is left out. If you've been blessed by these programs and would like to pay it forward, we invite you to visit vop.com slash give to make your tax-deductible donation. We're equipping the world for Christ to come, and your support will make a direct impact on so many lives. That's vop.com slash give. All around us, the world is changing. Homes are being lost. Lives are being threatened. And some people are asking the question, does God even care about me? The Bible answers that question, and what it says is very encouraging. Find out what God says regarding this topic and some of life's greatest issues in our free Discover Bible Guides. You can get yours by going to VOP.com, click on Study, or call us at 888-456-7933. And the music just jolted me awake. I was having a little nap during the break. (laughs) We're talking about Columbus today and uh, why Columbus really sailed over the ocean. It'll come as a surprise to you today why he really did it. Uh, The way it's taught in schools is not the way that it happened. And uh, we were setting the context before the break as to uh, what was going on in the world when Columbus decided to sail. And uh, Constantinople had fallen to the Ottoman Turks. Now, Asia Minor is part of a Muslim empire. The roads to the east are kind of shutting down. And Columbus needs to get to the east for a very particular reason that we'll talk about in a moment. But he needs to get a new way to go there. And he decides that he's going to go west to get to the east. To get to the east. 
Which proves that this idea that people thought the Earth was flat in his day is probably a myth. Columbus knew that it was round, didn't he? Right. We always make fun, oh, the medieval church said the Earth was flat. That's a lie. That was not true. Hmm. We've known for a very, very long time that the Earth is a sphere. And all the flat earthers out there, don't waste time writing me a letter. We've known the Earth is a sphere since hundreds of years before Christ. Go to 500 years before Christ, Pythagoras states point blank, hey, the Earth is a sphere. He figured it out mathematically. Hmm. 300 years before Christ, Aristotle actually used physical evidence to prove the Earth was a sphere, including the fact that the Earth creates a round shadow on the moon during an eclipse. Hmm. Hard to do if the Earth is flat. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Earth's not flat. We've never thought it was flat. That's That's It's mythology. By the third century before Christ, we even had estimates of how big the earth was. What is the earth's circumference? Hmm. Eratosthenes. I hope I got that right. Eratosthenes. (laughs) Uh He's the chief librarian in the famous Library of Alexandria, uh, about 240 years before Christ. Mm -hmm. And he's pretty smart. Travelers told him that there was a well in Egypt in what is now Aswan. And on noon, at noon on the summer solstice, June the 21st, the sun went straight down that well shaft and lit up the bottom without creating any shadows. It was directly mm-hmm. above the well at noon. Mm-hmm. So on the same day, June the 21st, he goes outside in Alexandria, puts a stick in the ground and measures the shadow. And he found that it made, the shadow made an angle of 7.2 degrees with the stick. Okay. It's roughly 1 50th of a circle. All he had to do was met, multiply the distance from the well to him by 50, and he got the circumference of the Earth roughly 20-some thousand miles. Wow. So we've known Such forever. a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. So even though many of us grew up with this understanding that that's why Columbus sailed, this whole idea that Christians in Columbus's day were ignorant and believed that the Earth was flat, you're saying it's just a myth. Yeah, absolutely. Now, mm-hmm. there may have been some people who, who thought that way because we lost a lot of our education and learning during the Dark Ages. And, yeah, that's And we true. had some things wrong. I mean, we went after Copernicus. And we went after Galileo Mm -hmm. when they suggested, hey, maybe the earth isn't the center of the universe. So we clearly had some things wrong. But Mm -hmm. did Christian scholars in the medieval period think the world was flat? No. Hmm. No, that's not true. And, you know, I I know atheists love to bring that up. Oh, you ignorant Christians. It's just it's not true. The educated people knew. Maybe some lay people. Maybe there was a peasant who believed that. Right. Yeah. But not the educated in Europe. Certainly not the Muslims to the east because— well, they had hung on to a lot of Greek learning when we slipped into the Dark Ages. They knew the Earth was round, hmm. right? So okay. we never believed the Earth was flat. Okay. So why why do people think that? Because the story is often told that the reason Columbus sailed west was quite simply to prove that the Earth was round. Okay. Well, some people lay the blame at, uh, at an author's feet, a writer by the name of Washington Irving. You've okay. heard of him. Yeah. Wrote The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Remember? Oh, right, Ichabod right, Crane right. and the Headless yes, Horseman. Of course. He wrote that. Well, in 1828, he wrote a book called The Life and Voyages of Christopher Columbus. Sounds like it's a history book, but it's not. It's a fictionalized, it's historical fiction. Oh, It's a a fictionalized version of Columbus. And he said that Europe figured out the Earth was finally round when Columbus sailed. But that's not true. He said it in the 1800s. It's just not true. Okay, interesting. Um, 
Sean, there was another writer in the 19th century, Antoine Jean Latran. Um, he also insisted that early Christians thought the world was flat. But during the 1800s, there was the rise of anti-Christian criticism, and there were people who were keen to make the believers look superstitious, right. they're making up, they? Yeah, they're making up yeah. these stories to make us look bad. Yeah. We know for sure that Columbus thought the world was round. Okay. Now, they were worried about something. They were worried about what would happen if they crossed the Antipodes, mm-hmm. went over to the opposite side of the globe, south of the equator. Are we going to be upside down if we go down there? I mean, yeah. there were things they didn't know. Would yeah. we be upside? Is the climate going to be livable? Because as we get closer and closer to the equator, it gets hotter and hotter. Does it keep getting hotter south of there? Well, when we get to the opposite side, are we going to be upside down cooking to death? Seems like a genuine question when yeah. you haven't been there. <laughs> they, they didn't know. Yeah. They didn't know. Because mm-hmm. a Roman geographer by the name of Pomponius Mila, uh-huh. what a great name, Pomponius. We should have one more baby Pomponius? and name him Pomponius. He'd get beat up in the schoolyard. I, think I, I think argue that. I am Pomponius. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this Roman geographer named Pomponius had written about a decade or so after Christ that there was a north part to the globe and a south part. So we knew this stuff. Mm -hmm. But he also said that you couldn't travel between the two because the region around the equator was way too hot. You would burn up if you tried to get to the southern part of the planet. Interesting. So I don't doubt that some of Columbus's men may have worried about falling off the globe because he didn't exactly have the cream of society working as a crew on his ships. They were largely uneducated. Maybe some of them were uh, superstitious. But Columbus, he knew... He knew that the worth was a sphere. He got something wrong. What he got Mm -hmm. wrong was how big that sphere was. He got the circumference Mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. He actually thought that the world was about 2,000 miles smaller than it actually is in circumference. So he thought the trip to Asia, going west, he knew he was going to Asia. Mm -hmm. He thought it was going to be shorter than it actually was because... He, he miscalculated by about 2,000 uh, miles. So if he had the circumference wrong, that makes sense and why he thought that was a doable trip. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and the reason he went wasn't really to reopen trade routes, was it? Nope, not at all. Yeah. Now, here's where it gets really interesting for students of, of the Bible. It, it turns out that Christopher Columbus was a student of Bible prophecy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and when the Eastern Roman Empire fell to the Turks, a lot of people in the 1400s, in the 15th century, thought, man, that is a sign of the times. The world is coming to an end. And to be frank, we don't have time for it today, but there is some evidence in the Bible to suggest that the book of Revelation does forecast the rise of the Saracen Muslims and the Ottoman Turks. But Maybe we'll save that for another show because we'll we'll go through the whole book of Revelation verse by verse at at some point. Okay, yeah, that would be an excellent study um, because it seems that you can find the Ottoman Empire in Bible prophecy as well. Uh, in fact, back in the 19th century, there was a Methodist preacher by the name of Josiah Litch, and he predicted the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, and he used. Uh, Revelation chapter 9, right down, and he predicted it right down to the day, August 11, 1840. Right. And not, not so much, I guess, the collapse, because it ultimately didn't collapse until the 20th century. Yeah, that's but, true. Yeah. But um, the humiliation of, and it turns out he was right. He was reading Revelation 9, and he made that prediction. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and, it, and at, on that date, August 11, 1840, the Ottoman Empire had to cede a lot of its autonomy to the Christian nations of the West. Very humiliating. And he nailed it. He nailed yeah, it. Yeah, wow. And that got a lot of people's attention. Mm-hmm. Um, even though our generation doesn't really think of the Ottomans that often. Um, History majors do. Yeah. They were considered <laughs> a huge threat 
to Western civilization in the day. Absolutely. Think of them as a more reasonable version of ISIS. Now, mm -hmm. ISIS is wackadoodle, but the Ottomans weren't wackadoodle. They just weren't. They were a reasonable empire and was a Muslim empire, mm -hmm. and they were a huge threat to Western civilization. Mm -hmm. So when the Ottomans take Constantinople in Constantinople, I had trouble pronouncing that. When they take the city of Constantinople in 1453, it rings alarm bells all over Europe. Sure. In mm -hmm. fact, when the city falls, the man who eventually becomes Pope Pius II says, man, that's the loss of one of the two eyes of the church. Uh, the two eyes being Constantinople and Rome. And Rome. He yeah. says Christianity's just been blinded in one eye. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Christians in Columbus's day took the fall of Constantinople as a sign of the times. And of course... Sure. In the previous century, Europe had suffered the Black Plague. Ooh. And the Black Plague kills somewhere between 75 and 200 million people, depending on which historian you read. And they take that as a sign that the end is coming and the world is about to collapse. So, as students of the Crusades know, the city of Jerusalem at this point in history, you know, Constantinople goes down, Jerusalem is also in the hands of the Muslims, and that bothers Western Christians an awful lot. Hmm. So what does it have to do with Columbus? Well, he wanted to open up trade routes going west to get to the east for one very specific reason. He wanted to get his hands on the wealth of the east, the wealth of Asia, in order to finance a crusade to liberate the city of Jerusalem because hmm. he believed if they could liberate Jerusalem, then maybe the second coming could finally take place. Hmm. So his voyage west was the product of his prophetic beliefs. Then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I know that is not what we were taught in school. No, Did you hear that in your not. classroom in school? No, but <laughs> no. it's yes. They yeah. believed in mm. those days that when Jesus comes back in glory, he's going to come back to the city of Jerusalem. Right. Now, I don't believe that. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches, but it's important to remember that they did believe that. And they thought of the Muslims as some kind of antichrist. And, and some people also believe that the Temple Mount had to be liberated in order for a last-day temple to be built, mm, does sound, rebuilt. Rebuilt. does sound a little familiar. Um, sounds like it's sort of an early precursor of the dispensational thought that emerged in Western Christianity in the 19th century. Yeah, in some ways it does, but only in minor sort of superficial ways. Okay. Um, even though, you know, what passes for Bible prophecy nowadays would have been completely foreign to the—when you mentioned dispensationalism, that would have been foreign yeah. to 15th century Christians. Because it's not really until the 19th century that we get any mention of, oh, a secret rapture where Jesus comes and takes Christians out of this world. Um, okay. That didn't exist till the 19th century. Right. But Christians have always been fascinated with Jerusalem. We've always been fascinated by the temple. And some people have believed from time to time that the temple must be rebuilt before Jesus comes again. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Write your complaint letters to Gene Boonstra, Box 999, Loveland, Colorado. But I, I, personally, I don't think it teaches that. But here's what we have to understand. The big issue in those days was the defeat of the Muslims mm -hmm. because Christians believed that Jerusalem rightfully belonged to them. Hmm. See, see, Columbus made a lot out of Isaiah's predictions that Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles and that that temple was supposed to be a house of prayer for all people. And so they believed that the temple needed to belong to the Gentile Christians before Jesus could come. That's just the belief in the day. those yeah. days. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the purpose behind the Crusades, which were launched some 400 years earlier under Pope Urban II. Mm -hmm. 
And it was also the reason that the Western Church sent a bunch of missionaries at one point to visit the Grand Khan in Asia, because the, the missionaries who went, the Jesuit missionaries, I believe, maybe they weren't Jesuit, that might be a little bit later in time. That, they, yeah, it would have to be, I just, but missionaries went. Um, and he apparently showed some interest in Christianity. So they believed, look, if we can convert the Grand Khan to Christianity, if we can finish that up and get him baptized, he will join us and we will encircle the Muslims, wipe them out, and we will liberate the city of Jerusalem. Hmm. Wow. And the Grand Khan ruling in China, his conversion would have meant huge support for European exactly. Christians who would then want to liberate the Holy Land. Right. So I hear the music. So we're going to have it a cliffhanger. You yeah. know, that's really what Columbus is doing. He's trying to get to Asia to get help to liberate Jerusalem. It has nothing, nothing to do with proving that the world is round. That's a fabrication from the 19th hmm. century forward. But the music means we have to take a break. We do. We have no choice because they're going to cut my mic in seconds. So I will take a break. You take a break. And I'll be right back. Disclosure is just one of the programs brought to you by the Voice of Prophecy, like the audio adventure program, Discovery Mountain. Discovery Mountain is a weekly Bible-based program for kids of all ages and backgrounds. Your family will enjoy faith-building stories with Jake Donovan, <laughs> Mr. Simon, and others in this small mountain town. Each summer, campers visit Discovery Mountain, where they sing songs, learn about God, and reenact a Bible story with the help of drama teachers, Miss Wendy and Miss Tamara. With 24 full episodes every year and programming every week, your family will have something uplifting to listen to every week. Listen to episodes on demand and watch video features from director Doug at discoverymountain.com or on your favorite podcast platform. That's discoverymountain.com. What kind of a break is that? That's like a 60-second break. That's not a break. <laughs> what do you do? You don't even have time to cut your fingernails. No, that no, yeah. you don't. We're it's talking about break. Columbus on Disclosure today. Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking about the fact that the real reason he went uh, westward over the Atlantic Ocean was not because he thought the world was flat. That's a bunch of nonsense. He knew the world was round, and he was trying to find a new route to get to Asia so he could recruit the Grand Khan. Uh, and um, and if they could convert him, maybe he could help them defeat the Muslims. Yeah, yeah. And the Grand Khan ruler in China, um, his conversion would have meant huge support for European Christians, exactly. wouldn't it have? And, and it would have helped them. They would have thought yeah, to it. liberate the Holy Land. That's the whole point of the voyage. Yeah. Is Christopher Columbus out looking for gold? That's the other theory that people teach. Yeah, sure he was. Yeah. But he wanted riches in order to finance a last-day war with the Muslims so that he could usher in the second coming of Christ. That's the purpose of his mission. What many people don't realize is that Christopher Columbus actually authored a commentary on Bible prophecy, which has been sitting in archives, never translated, at least I don't think so, into English until the 1990s. Hmm. But you have a copy of I, it, I do. don't you? It's sitting under the desk right here. I'm so happy with my copy yes. of Christopher Columbus's. I mean, where else do you get a commentary written by Christopher Columbus? Why That's has this amazing. been sitting in the dark for all of these years? That's a good question. It, I guess, you know, it's a generous term to call it a commentary. on. It's more of a compilation of Bible prophecies and some personal letters. 
Uh, but it's fascinating. It's his thoughts on those, oh, co- those yeah. prophecies. Yeah. yeah. It gives us a glimpse of what's going on in his head as he's getting in those boats and going over the Atlantic Ocean. Hmm. He actually wrote this book uh, after he got back from the New World at the beginning of the 1500s. But the content is kind of, well, if you love history, it's mind-boggling. Hmm. Um, the manuscripts that have come down to us include a letter to Ferdinand and Isabel. Ooh, and guess what I brought with interesting. me? Interesting. Yeah, Do we're going to have <laughs> reading theater on disclosure. Yay. He's talking about all the study he did that brought him to the point where he wanted to sail west. Not to prove the earth was round, he actually tells us himself why he went. Okay. Here's what he writes to the king and queen. During this time, I wish, I don't know what he sounded like, so we can't, I can't put on like a Columbus voice. <laughs> What if it was an annoying voice? During this time. I don't think so. No, no, no. <laughs> During this time, I have studied all kinds of texts, cosmography, histories, chronicles, philosophy, and other disciplines. Through these writings, the hand of our Lord opened my mind to the possibility of sailing to the Indies and gave me the will to attempt the voyage. Hmm. With this burning ambition, I came to your highnesses. Everyone who heard about my enterprise rejected it with laughter and ridicule. Neither all the sciences I mentioned previously, do you see that? He knew, previously, he knew yeah. the world was round. Yeah. Nor citations drawn for them were of any help to me. Only your highnesses had faith and perseverance. Who could doubt that this flash of understanding was the work of the Holy Spirit as well as my own? Hmm. The Holy Spirit illuminated his holy and sacred scripture, encouraging me in a very strong and clear voice, urging me to proceed. He Hmm. says, God sent me over the ocean. I'll jump down a little bit. He says, Holy Scripture attests in the Old Testament through the mouths of the prophets and in the New Testament through our Redemptor Jesus Christ that this world will end. Hmm. He's looking at the end of the world. Mm -hmm. The signs of when this must happen are described by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the prophets frequently predicted the event. What's on his mind? The second coming of Christ. Then he goes on at some length quoting Bible prophecies that prove his case. He shows that history has a direction and that he felt that God had somehow called him to be a part of fulfilling Bible prophecy and that Jesus would eventually come. Hmm. He even states in the letter that most of Bible prophecy had already been fulfilled. In other words, he had a historical view of prophecy, which is the way Christians looked at it for 1,800 years. Yeah. Prophecy's been continuing, continually fulfilling since the days of the prophets right down till today. Right? He, he, he does that, and then he erroneously predicts, and this is where he, you know, there, it's not perfect, his understanding, mm-hmm. but he predicts based on the idea that world history would last exactly 7,000 years, that there's only 150 years to go till Jesus comes. He's wrong there, he, but he was a little off it shows there, you his mindset. Shows that he was a student, definitely a yeah. student. Yeah. So what we have is evidence that Christopher Columbus considered his voyage to be prophetic and that he was somehow fulfilling God's purpose for this world and that what he was doing would pave the way for the second coming of Christ. That, exactly. that seems to be his driving that passion and force. That is why he sailed over the ocean. Interesting. So that, that doesn't excuse any theological mistakes he might have made. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even John the Baptist, we're told, got confused about his own preaching. None of us are perfect in right. interpreting this stuff. So he made some mistakes, and this doesn't excuse that. Um, but, but what I find really interesting is his sense that he's somehow working out the prophetic will of God. Yeah. And again, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't excuse how he behaved when he got to the New World right. because he apparently behaved abysmally. However, he thinks he's working out the will of God. In fact, after discovering the New World, mm-hmm. he made a big deal out of the passage in Isaiah 65 that talks about a new heaven and a new earth, hmm. right? Of course, that would get his attention. Yeah. Here's a letter he wrote to a friend, uh, Don Juana in... Um, 
this is a friend of the queen. I can't okay. pronounce her name. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> She's dead. I guess she can't be offended if I butcher her name. Yeah, but he not. writes this to a friend. Okay. God made me, said Columbus, the messenger of the new heaven and the new earth. And he's wrong about this, yeah. sort of, sort yeah. of, uh, about what the new earth is. But you can see why he would jump to that conclusion. Sure. God made me the messenger of the new heaven and the new earth, of which he spoke in the apocalypse of St. John after having spoken of it by the mouth of Isaiah, and he showed me where to find it. Wow. Right? So, of, of course, we know he was in possession of some pagan prophecies, too. Uh, he had a copy of Seneca, okay. the Roman philosopher who was living roughly at the time of Jesus. And there was one passage in, in the writings of Seneca that got Columbus's attention, as well as the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's this little poem that says this. This is a Roman pagan poem. Only here on Disclosure do you get to listen to pagan Roman poetry. <laughs> An age will come after many years, wrote Seneca, when the ocean will loose its chains and a huge land lie revealed when Typhus, the famous pilot for Jason and the Argonauts, right. when Typhus will disclose new worlds and Thule no more be the ultimate. Huh. Well, I almost I'm, said that like a pirate. No you, more. Uh, be the ultimate. Did. Yeah. You almost did. Kind of fits, though. Yeah. Um, Thule, of course, was Iceland, right. which would have been the westernmost landmass in the known world at that time. That's right. Um, now, if you ignore the voyages of the Vikings more than 400 years earlier, that right. is. And, and as a loyal subject to the church, Columbus, I'm guessing that he would have seen that not as an authoritative prophecy, as much as a confirmation of what he was finding in the Bible. Yeah, he wasn't a follower of Seneca, but when he found the poem, he got all excited. Yeah. Somebody's going to find this big landmass west of Iceland, right? May as well be me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Columbus based most of his conviction on what Bible prophecy says. Okay. Uh, although we do believe, himself, that, believe that he considered himself a fulfillment of Seneca's prediction as well, but... But it's Bible prophecy that inspires him. Okay, okay. And given the fact that the ancient Greeks had already demonstrated a round globe, as we talked about earlier, hundreds of years before Seneca, um, what Seneca wrote wasn't really an astonishing feat because all he was predicting was that someday someone would go further than Iceland to see what was out there on the way yeah. to Asia. Yeah, yeah. Not that hard of a prediction. It's like right. me saying someday someone's going to go further than the moon. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> Someday someone will discover something beyond our solar system. That not far fetched. Not not too not too yeah. hard to make yeah. such a generalized prediction, right? See, so, I'm an amazing prophet. Do you see that? Someday. <laughs> someday, sometimes, someone. someone will lift up a log and find a worm. <laughs> that's, that's very very nonspecific. <laughs> yes. I think that's an amazing prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> Probably will come true. Probably already has since you spoke the words. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so Sean, let's just recap here for a minute. What we have is not really an expedition to prove that the world is round, but an attempt to fulfill Bible prophecy by going to see the Grand Khan and enlist his help there in China to liberate Jerusalem, all with this ultimate goal that Jesus could come again. Exactly right. In fact, guess what I have? I have some excerpts from oh. his diary. Oh, cool. Mm. Okay. Columbus's diary, which begins again with an address to the king and queen of Spain. This right. comes from 1492. Okay. And he starts with a reference to Ferdinand and Isabella conquering the Moors, mm -hmm. Muslims in Spain. Here's what he says. Okay. Here we go. Ancient theater. Here we go. I saw the Moorish king come out to the gates of the city and kiss the royal hands of your highnesses and of the prince my lord. In other words, they just defeated the Moors. Mm -hmm. And later in that same month, because of the report I had given to your highnesses about the lands of India 
and about a prince who was called Grand Khan, mm. which means in our Spanish language, King of Kings. Interesting. How many, how many times he and his predecessors had sent to Rome to ask for men learned in our holy faith in order that they might instruct him in it, and how the Holy Father had never provided them. And thus so many peoples were lost, falling into idolatry and accepting false and harmful religions. And your highnesses as Catholic Christians and princes, overseers, and boy, they were wordy. (laughs) Overseers and promoters of the holy Christian faith and enemies of the false doctrine of Muhammad and all of his idolatries and heresies. You thought of sending me, Christopher Columbus, to the said regions of India, rather than China, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, to see the said princess and the peoples of the lands, and the characteristics of their lands and everything to see how their conversion to our holy faith might be undertaken. Wow. Right. And and that's from his diary. Yeah. And so that that really completely blows apart the theory that Columbus was trying to prove that the world was round. His own words tell us what he was doing. He was trying to convert the Grand Khan. Exactly. Right. And this is history that has pretty much been lost to most of us. You don't hear this in school. They don't teach it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has not been lost, however, to the Latter-day Saints or the Mormons. Mm -hmm. Of course, they believe that Jesus visited the Americas right after he visited Judea yeah, and that true. he preached what they call another testament to the Native Americans, which was found buried in the New World and translated by Joseph Smith. So so to the Mormons, the discovery of America by Europeans is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And they say that Columbus had an uncanny ability to navigate over an uncharted Atlantic because of the mysterious guidance of the angel Moroni. Ah, now, okay. Now, no, apologize, I apologize to all of my Mormon friends, but I don't believe any of that. I don't believe that. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that I don't believe that the influx of Europeans into the Americas wasn't prophetic because it really was, hmm. and not for the reasons that Columbus thought it was. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Now, I'm guessing that right now, because I know you so well, that in the couple of minutes we have left, you might want to dig into the book of Revelation. Well, yeah, think? maybe after the break we'll dig into yeah. it. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to admit, before we get into that study in our next segment, okay. that what I'm going to do is completely irresponsible. Uh, we don't have the time to do this well at all all. Um, Usually before I dig into this topic, I take an audience through 20 hours of prophetic study so that they know sort of the structure of the book of Revelation and what the key symbols are. We look at all the major themes of Bible prophecy, and we learn the historical method of prophetic interpretation, which is what Columbus used and what Christians used for the first 1,800 years of Christianity. Um, And I'm going to do none of that preparatory stuff. We're just going to dig in, and I'll leave people all confused. But that means that you should send away for our Discover Discover Bible Bible School. There you go. It's like we planned this or something. (laughs) We didn't, but it would. It would certainly. If if this is if this whets the appetite to study this more deeply, the Discover Bible Guides are the perfect place to do that, where you can study at home, um, at your own pace, and really learn that. Yep. Those principles you just described. Go to vop.com. Vop.com. Victor Oscar Peter. Mm-hmm. It's not Peter, it's Paul? Papa. Papa. Victor Oscar Papa.com. And look for the tab that says study, I believe, and ask for your free Discover Bible Guides. And uh, we're about to take a break, which means that I can get ready for the irresponsible study of Revelation chapter 12. If you've got a Bible in the house, run, run, top speed, because you have 60 seconds. Grab that Bible, open it up to Revelation chapter 12. That would be the last book of the Bible, the 12th chapter. And when we come back from this break, we're going to dig into one of the most stunning prophecies found anywhere in the Bible. We'll be right back after this break. 
toss and turn in bed and find yourself awake in the middle of the night. Your mind is in turmoil and you're overstressed with the stuff of everyday life. You need peace and calm in the middle of the storm. The answer you need is found in our free Discover Bible Guides. You can get yours by contacting us at VOP.com. Click on the tab that says Study or call me at 888-456-7933. That's 888-456-7933. Retirement planning can be a stressful process, but it doesn't have to be. The friendly people at The Voice of Prophecy can walk you through the entire process and explain all of your options based on your specific needs. Whether you'd like to set up a trust for income or make a gift that will benefit your loved ones and change lives through The Voice of Prophecy, we're here to help. To learn more, call 1-800-348-5993. Here we go into our fourth and final segment of today's show, How We Will Get Done, I Don't Know. And that was a poem. Uh, I just was. did a poem. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote a poem. We're talking about Christopher Columbus and the fact that he did not sail over the ocean to prove the world was round. He was going to convert the Grand Khan so the Grand Khan would help them overthrow the Muslims in the city of Jerusalem and hasten the second coming of Christ. We've dug into his own journals. We've proven that that is the case, that he believed he was on a prophetic mission. Fascinating And if stuff, you study really. Bible prophecy, it turns out he probably was completely right. I do believe that God nudged him to go there. And what we're going to do is a completely irresponsible Bible study now. We're going to dig into Revelation chapter 12. We should have about three, four hours at least of background material to get into this. But what you have in Revelation 12 is this woman that appears clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and she's wearing 12 stars on her head. It's a right. fulfillment of the very first prophecy of the Bible, where God promises the seed of the woman, Messiah, would come to defeat the devil. And all through the scriptures, God's people are described as a beautiful woman or as the bride of Christ and, and so on. Mm -hmm. So in Revelation 12, you have a picture of God's people. That's why you have the number 12, 12 tribes, 12 apostles. Uh, you've got the reflected light of the moon. Many scholars believe that's kind of like the dimmer picture of the coming Messiah found in the Old Testament. And then the direct light of the sun, which is the clearer understanding you have when Messiah arrives. And in Revelation 12, this woman is expecting a child. She's crying out. She's in labor. The child's about to come. Right. And it's a description of Christ about to be born. And the dragon, who's described as Satan, is waiting to devour him. And um, and then he talks about the war in heaven. It's a lot of background information. The dragon takes a third of the stars of heaven. He leads a third of the angels of heaven astray and out of the courts of heaven. And, uh, and it says in oh, verse 4-ish or so, the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Mm -hmm. The devil's waiting for the birth of Christ uh, so that he can destroy Messiah. And then Jesus is born. The male child is born. It's caught up into heaven. The devil did not destroy Jesus. And then it says this in verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. That's an important number in prophecy. It's a long, long period of time where this woman has to fear persecution. The devil can't get to Jesus, so he goes after God's people. Mm -hmm. Now let's jump down to verse 11. Okay? okay. 
And so that's the irresponsible thing. We should have spent four hours on those first 10 right. verses, but we didn't. He gave us a good synopsis. Right. But God's people, Jesus is caught back up into heaven. The long-awaited Messiah came. Mm-hmm. He triumphs at the cross, and then he goes back to heaven. Now the devil comes after us. Verse 11, and they, God's people, this woman, overcame the bride of Christ. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. See, they're being mm-hmm. persecuted. Mm-hmm. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Now here it comes. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he'd been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So at some point after the cross, after the ascension, we get this long period of persecution, and that absolutely happened. But the sad thing about this story is that the persecution that happened to Christians in Western Europe was an internal problem. See, we married the church to the state under the Emperor Constantine. If uh, you want to know more about that, go to our store and order Shadow Empire. I spend yes. four times describing what happened. We all know something went off the rails with Christianity Excellent and stories. medieval Europe, right? Mm-hmm. What happened after Constantine is a lot of pagan Roman political ideas worked their way into the Christian church. Right. And so, for example, burning people at the stake. Where did that come from? Jesus never burned anybody at the stake mm-hmm. that we know of. I mean, <laughs> I think we can guess that he didn't. Right. But Constantine had witnessed Diocletian burning people at the stake in North Africa. Right. And so that idea gets imported into Christianity. So after the empire collapses in the West, the church takes charge of the empire, but they bring all these political ideas in. And it's probably time for us as Christians to admit that the Dark Ages are not our proudest moment. Definitely right? not. We should. People laugh at us but and make fun. How can you be God's people? Well, we need to own that we did wrong things. We persecuted each other in the name of Christ. We took mm-hmm. away property. We tortured people. We killed people. And we didn't behave like Christ. Mm -hmm. The soil of Europe is utterly stained with the blood of people who died for matters of conscience. It's embarrassing, right? But we probably should admit it. I look at Richard Dawkins and these others who think that God is severe and that God is is intolerable. But we kind of gave God that reputation by the way we behaved throughout the Dark Ages. And we took Roman politics. I mean, when the Western Roman Empire collapsed, what, what actually happened is that the Romans all started going home. A lot of the offices were empty. And so clergymen started filling the political offices of the church. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a political administrative unit in the Roman Empire was called a diocese. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we started calling church district Churches, diocese, diocese right. right? Interesting. And we got that from, from, from the Romans. But we also imported some of the behavior. Now, okay. during all that persecution... We have all these people historically who resisted the politicization of the church. My ancestors were on the wrong side. They just were on the wrong side. But we have these other people like the early Christian Celts uh, who were living off on an island by themselves off the coast of Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Celts at that point had basically moved up into the British Isles. We have the Waldensians in the mountains of northern Italy in the mm-hmm. Piedmont Valleys. Mm-hmm. We have all these groups across Europe that have to go into hiding, and they live humble, Bible-based Christian lives. But they had to live in hiding. They had to go to remote places if they wanted to live out their faith according to the Bible and wanted to resist the way that the rest of us have politicized Christianity. And that's exactly what the Bible predicted. Take a look at Romans, uh, Romans, Revelation, rather, chapter 12 and verse 14. But the woman, this is the same woman waiting for Messiah to come. Mm -hmm. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place 
where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. So this is persecution. If she wants to be faithful to Messiah, if Mm -hmm. she wants to stick with the original faith of the 12, the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, she's going to have to go into hiding for this long period of time, time, times, and half a time. That's a year, two years, and half a year, 1,260 days, sometimes 42 months. It's Mm -hmm. a long period of time. And it says, well, she goes into hiding, so the serpent turns up the heat, spews water out of his mouth like a flood. And then here comes the interesting part and probably the end of our show. Verse 16. But the earth, here's where Columbus shows up. The earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Hmm. Now, without hours of context, Mm -hmm. that's a bit cryptic. Mm -hmm. But the Bible says that at some point, and this is predicted 1492 years before Columbus. Now, less than that. This is in the 90s AD, but you know, well over 1400 years before Columbus. Right. The Bible predicts that somehow the earth would suddenly open up and give persecuted people a place to go. Mm, now, that's, that's exactly yeah. what happened. That's exactly what happened. Right? Mm-hmm. Within 100 years of Columbus discovering or landing, he didn't discover it. I'll grant that. He sure didn't. Mm-hmm. But he lands in the New World. Within a hundred years of that, the English dissenters are hiding in the Netherlands because the Church of England was sort of clamping down on them and persecuting. Mm -hmm. Uh, English dissenters are hiding in the Netherlands, a lot of them. They're looking for religious liberty. They're looking for the freedom to live according to the dictates of their conscience. And the new world opens up and they start making their way here to avoid persecution. It's exactly... Yeah, it's exactly what Revelation predicted. The earth would open up to help these people. Hmm. The pilgrims came here. The Puritans came here. The settlement of Roger Williams, William Penn, for whom Pennsylvania has been named. I think we toured one place there. It was an oddball group that uh, had slightly different beliefs. They went and moved to Pennsylvania and set up a commune so they could live according to the dictates of their conscience. Mm -hmm. It's a long story of people seeking religious freedom and the ability to live a biblical life to the best of their knowledge. Mm -hmm. Now, these people didn't do it perfectly. We know in the New World they made some mistakes. They Absolutely. passed blue laws. They persecuted people who didn't think like them. They killed people who didn't think like I mean, they took some of their habits with them, but they did come here to the New World to escape persecution. And it seems to me that it was predicted with detail in Revelation chapter 12. Mm-hmm. So the big question, did God prompt Columbus to make his way here? So we have all these incredible records. He says, I think God's sending me to go. I'm going to hasten the second coming of Christ. I am on a prophetic mission. The Holy Spirit has prompted me to do this. He thinks it's to defeat the Muslims to hasten the second coming of Christ. But as it turns out, it may be to fulfill Revelation chapter 12. Interesting. To open the new world. Well, I found it interesting, Sean, that when you shared um, from Columbus's own writing how he approached multiple... um, countries to partner with him. We know that from history. And Ferdinand and Isabella finally gave him the opportunity. And he said that he he kept persisting at this idea because he felt that the Holy Spirit was compelling him to do this. Right. Yeah. Based and, on his understanding of Bible of, prophecy. Of prophecy. And, you know, um, just tying Revelation 12 in, 
Yeah, the Holy. I do believe from what you've shared, it, it, you make a compelling case that it, the Holy Spirit was prompting him. Maybe he didn't know why. <laughs> Maybe he had that a little understanding a little off. But clearly, uh, well, the New World did become a refuge for those getting away uh, from persecution how, in Europe. How often have Christians perfectly understood? Right. Yeah. I, I made reference earlier to the fact that at the end of his life, John the Baptist is confused about prophecy. Mm-hmm. He sends people to Jesus and asks Jesus, "Hey." If you're Messiah, why am I in prison? You're out here preaching, and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I thought I, I thought this was the time for your kingdom to come. He didn't even understand his own prophecies perfectly. Right. Did Columbus understand everything perfectly? No. But there's this point in the Bible where Jesus says, "I tell you these things now, so that when they come to pass, you may know you that may I am know. He." Yeah. Mm-hmm. In other words, prophecy is not so much about predicting the future. That's where a lot of Christians go astray. That's true. They say, hey, we're going to make a prediction, and then we embarrass ourselves. Jesus is going to come on this specific date. Mm, Not what prophecy's for. Prophecy is like signposts, or it's like the commute that I used to have from one town to another up on the Alaska Highway years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, and some nights it would be blizzard. You're in the middle of nowhere. You couldn't see the edge of the yeah. You couldn't see (laughs) the edge of the road. I'd be driving white knuckled. Am I going to make it home tonight? Oh dear. And so here we are. Uh, going through history, white-knuckled, you know, hanging on for dear life, a little bit of sweat on our foreheads, because the life that we have as Christians isn't easy. Jesus said, many will hate you. Yeah. You'll be persecuted. Mm-hmm. Persecution really happened, and it was an internal problem in Western Europe and the former Roman Empire. We persecuted each other. So here we are. We're clinging to the wheel for dear life. And then suddenly, I, I, as I was doing that, I would see the glow on the horizon. I think, ah, that's the hometown. Almost home. Almost I'm going home. to make it. Yeah, I'm going to make yes. it, and I'd know that I'd be with you <laughs> oh, very yeah. soon. And I'd be sound asleep. You'd be sound asleep, of course. <laughs> but then I'd see a radio tower or the blinking light, and I'd go, okay, five more minutes. Right. Prophecy's not to predict the future. It's to let you know where you are in the stream of, uh, of, of history. That's why mm. Columbus read it historically. It's been fulfilling all along. Here's where we are roughly, I believe. And we can look at this. Okay, he found the... He found the new world. Mm-hmm. That means that we're about that far through Revelation chapter 12. And what it says next, the dragon was enraged with the woman, went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Wow. It predicts that in the last days after the rise of the new world, there will be even worse persecution at some point. It's going to come again. But there will be people who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ somewhere here on this earth. There will be a great revival. That's That's the good good news. news. There's a great revival Mm -hmm. of godliness coming right before Jesus comes. And so where we sit right now is in the opening words of verse 17 in this prophecy. Mm. Columbus is in verse 16. I hear the music. That means we're out of time. But why don't you take a moment to consider where you are in the stream of history? Maybe study Bible prophecy. Go to VOP.com. Look under study. Look for the free Discover Bible guides that'll open up a world to you that shows you where we are in the stream of history. And let us believe with certainty that though we know not the day or the hour, we know that Jesus is coming soon. You've been listening to Disclosure. This is Sean and Gene Boonstra sitting in studio until next time.